Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly, Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Carrie Gino continues our series on the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Today, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 23. Now, here's Carrie. Thank you for the shocking introduction, Phil. Uh, our scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 to 23, and the topic is the nature of Christian ministry. And I know many of you will be disappointed, but that's the end of my slide presentation. <laughs> the following is from Girlfriends in God, by the way, which Lorraine subscribes to, not me, in case you're wondering. A preacher, out for a walk, noticed a group of boys standing around a small stray dog. What are you doing, boys, he asked. Telling lies, one young man explained. The one who tells the biggest lie gets the dog. The minister was shocked. When I was your age, I never even thought about telling a lie, he said. And the boys' faces fell in disappointment. And one young man shrugged and said, I guess he wins the dog. <laughs> to worship God, we must come before him with an honest heart. Eugene H. Peterson writes, When people become Christians, they don't at the same moment become nice. This always comes as something of a surprise. Conversion to Christ and his ways doesn't automatically furnish a person with impeccable manners and suitable morals. The people of Corinth had a reputation in the ancient world as an unruly, hard-drinking, sexually promiscuous bunch of people. And when Paul arrived with the message, and many of them became believers in Jesus, they brought their reputations with them right into the church. Factions had developed. Morals were in despair. Worship had degenerated into a selfish grabbing for the supernatural. It was the kind of thing that might have been expected from the Corinthians. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians is a classic of pastoral response, affectionate, firm, clear, and unswerving in the conviction that God among them, revealed in Jesus and present in the Holy Spirit, continued to be the central issue in their lives, regardless of how much of a mess they had made of things. Paul doesn't disown them as brother and sister Christians. He doesn't throw them out because of their bad behavior. And he doesn't fly into a rant over their irresponsible ways. He takes it all more or less in stride, but also takes them by the hand and goes over the old ground again, directing them in how to work all the glorious details of God's saving love into their love for one another. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 23. Fellow believers, I wasn't able to speak to you as to spiritual people, but I had to speak to you as to natural people, as to babies in the anointing. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, as you weren't able to eat it. But now you're still not able to eat it, as you are still natural people. 
For insofar as there is jealousy and strife among you, aren't you natural people, having according to the manner of humanity? For, for when someone says, I surely am Paul's, and another says, I am Apollo's, aren't you being human? So then who is Apollo's? And whose is Paul? We're ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then the person who plants isn't anything. The person who waters isn't anything. But it is God who gives the growth. Now the person who plants as well as the person who waters work as one. Each will receive their own reward according to their own labor. We are God's fellow workers, and you are God's cultivated field, God's building. Due to God's favor, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and someone else builds on it. But let each one watch how they build on it. No one can lay any foundation other than the one which has been laid, and that is Jesus, the anointed one. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw, then each one's work will become clear, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If the work which anyone has built on remains, they will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, they will be punished. They themselves will be saved. Nevertheless, it will be like going through fire. Don't you know that you are God's temple and the spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy them. God's temple is sacred and you are God's temple. No one is to beguile themselves. If anyone among you seems to be wise by the standards of this age, let them become silly so that they can become wise. The wisdom of this world is silliness next to God. The scriptures say he traps the wise with their own cunning. Also, the Lord realizes that the thought processes of the wise are foolish. So then, no one is to boast about people. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that is Peter, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are the anointed ones, and the anointed one is God. Amen. In these verses, Paul really comes to the core of the problem with the Corinthian church. It was carnal, worldly, immature, and fleshly. It just hadn't grown as it should have. The influences of the world were too strong in the church. Paul wanted to go on and speak deeper things and give them solid food, but they weren't ready. He had to keep on repeating the same basic principles to them again and again. So what is milk? And what is solid food? Why did Paul have to give them milk to drink? Well, milk is what young babies drink, and solid food is what you start to eat when you grow up. Milk might be, don't be influenced by the culture around you. And solid food might be, this is how you can influence the culture around you. 
The Corinthian church was fleshly. They loved the world and the things of the world too much. It was influencing them. They were prideful. They elevated human wisdom as opposed to God's wisdom. They created factions. They weren't being the kind of testimony that they should be to others. And the Corinthians seemed to have a problem with continuous immaturity. They just weren't growing. They were staying at the same spiritual level, or maybe even going backwards. One of the ways this fleshliness was exhibited was by their divisions. Mature people should look past the little things and to learn to work together in the unity of serving the Lord. Instead, they were bogged down in worldly quarrels. And this was a prime example of their immaturity. Paul and Apollos were prime examples of Christian workers with different gifts who complemented each other as they worked together for the common goal of building God's kingdom. Paul's chief ministry focus was on starting new churches. He established numerous churches during his missionary uh, journeys. And many times after he started it, he let someone else lead it. You could almost say that Paul was the evangelist. He was the one who shared the gospel and formed the church. And if Paul was the evangelist, then Apollos was the pastor or the teacher. And each one was gifted by God for what they did. However, they both realized that they themselves were nothing. It wasn't their work. They were servants. And servants aren't concerned with building up a following. Servants aren't concerned about recognition or credit. They're focused on doing a necessary and vital task for the Lord. They're fulfilled in doing what needs to be done. People are the instruments. And if we praise Paul and Apollos or any other famous preacher, we're praising the tool rather than the craftsman. We're only a tool, an instrument. God is the master workman. It is his work, and he must get all the glory. We should be humble and not seek credit for ourselves. We are one. We should work together towards the same goal. We shouldn't be jealous of how much attention others get or how much more success they seem to have. We work together and complement each other. We shouldn't view people we teach as ours. We shouldn't think that we can change them through sheer willpower or force. Only God can change them. They are subjects of God, and we are only stewards. Now, this question has been asked again and again. What are heavenly rewards? Or how do, how do rewards fit in with grace? Some say there's no rewards. Yet, Jesus spoke about storing up treasure, and Paul spoke about being rewarded for our labor. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. Rewarded according to their own labor. How does that fit in with grace? 
In the Greek, the word for reward means pay or wages. Is God going to pay us like a paymaster? How does that work? Paul says that we are rewarded for our labor. So what is our reward? We know there are heavenly rewards because Jesus says so, but what are they? Some say God is going to dispense treasures, mansions, and even cities to those who have proven faithful. Others say there are no rewards at all. Everything comes to us by grace, alone, so there can be no rewards for effort. A problem with the God who rewards golden stars is that is it that this promotes a servant mentality when we are actually sons and daughters. The problem with the idea that there is no reward is that it contradicts what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 20. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So do grace and rewards go together? Jesus, who is all grace, and Paul, who is the apostle, apostle of grace, says that they do. So are we reading this wrong? In Christ, we are all heirs of all things. So what do we need with rewards? Hebrews 11.6 says, No one can please God without faith. For whoever comes to God must have faith that God exists and rewards those who seek him. So what is the reward of the seeker? But to find what he is seeking. Whatever the treasures of heaven may be, they're nothing in comparison with Jesus, who is a reward for those who seek him. When Jesus is our home, why do we need mansions? Do we think eternity will be divided into the haves and the have-nots? For we are all one in Christ. But if there are heavenly rewards, what are they? Some say material wealth. Others say positions of authority. Perhaps we're trying to picture heavenly rewards with an earthly mindset. So what are eternal rewards? What is our heavenly treasure? From scripture, I believe it's people. Spiritual children and eternal friends. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. What is more fulfilling than co-laboring with the Lord to create new life? Honestly, there's nothing. Nothing compares to the thrill of new birth. You tell someone the good news, the lights go on, a smile dawns on their face, and you realize that the Holy Spirit just did something special. A moment ago, this person had no regard for Jesus. Now they're shining with his very life. They just became a new person who will learn to call God Abba, Father. It truly is a miracle. The heart of God beat within Paul with such intensity that he felt compelled to preach the gospel. He didn't do it for mansions or money, but for people. Though I am free and belong to no one, 
I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. First Corinthians 9:19. Paul had a deep desire to raise spiritual offspring. Through the gospel, he became a father to the Corinthians and a mother to the Thessalonians. He called men like Timothy and Onesimus his sons in the Lord. And when he saw those he had matured, he had nurtured, sorry, standing firm in Christ, he exalted, now we really live. Seeing people get zapped by grace is about the greatest thrill on earth. Outside of the Lord himself, there is no greater reward than to see the Holy Spirit reproduce the life of Christ in others. Paul understood this, and he bragged about it. The churches he started were his. They were his children in the Lord, and he delighted in them just as God delights in you. They were his crown, his joy, and his eternal reward. The Bible clearly calls all believers to engage others through ministry. So since we are called to be engaged, we must understand what we are called to. So what is the nature of Christian ministry? Or to rephrase the question, what are believers called to do in Christian ministry? Understanding the nature of Christian ministry both frees us and compels us to get involved in what God is doing in this world. A common fallacy in the church equates all ministry with formal ministry of the church. The formal ministry of the church refers to programs or organized ministries that take place during the church calendar year. But perhaps the greatest opportunities for Christian ministry lies in informal ministry, not during the program ministry of the institution. When we think about the early church in the book of Acts, the early church not only survived, but it even thrived without any of the programs that we deem necessary for ministry to actually occur. The reason is simple. These early believers did not think of ministry in terms of programs or organized activities. Almost all of their ministry could be labeled informal. They engaged in ministry as an outflow of the normal Christian life. In many ways, the term Christian ministry has become synonymous with the vocational work of a pastor, a missionary, or a church worker. While what these workers do is part of Christian ministry, Christian ministry is really meant to be done by every Christian in every aspect of life. To minister is to serve, a calling common to all Christians. Mark 10:45 Jesus himself came not to be served but to serve. John 13:15-17 After washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus instructed them, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. James 1.27 and 2.15-17 says Christians serve in practical ways, like assisting with physical or financial needs. First Thessalonians, Hebrews, and 2 Corinthians says 
Service is also done in more intangible ways, like listening to others to provide comfort or encouragement, or even to restore a sense of dignity. Ministry is not confined to church activities or relationships. It fills every part of our lives, including our jobs and our daily activities. Colossians 3, 23, 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing from, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Notice that Paul doesn't say you'll be rewarded for your work, but that you work because you have already received your reward in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15:58 says, Therefore, my beloved believers, be steadfast, immovable, always, in, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The life of every believer should be one of full-time Christian ministry, whether carried out as a church worker, a stay-at-home parent, a doctor, a grocery clerk, a student, or any other situation in life. The Bible exhorts us to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, to stir up one another to love and good works, <clears throat> Hebrews 10.24, to love in deed and truth, 1 John 3.18, to exhort one another every day, Hebrews 3.13, to have our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how we ought to answer each person, Colossians 4.6, and to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Colossians 3.16. So putting these exhortations into practice is actually participating in Christian ministry. Christian ministry is Christian because of the truth that is being proclaimed. And since the nature of Christian ministry is truth-oriented, then ministry happens in any number of settings, not just in formal church programs. Perhaps the greatest advances in ministry happen outside the church walls. Ministry occurs at the dinner table, across a coffee shop booth, in a car, on the way to Walmart, in the back of the church at the end of a worship service, at the hospital bedside, on the playing field, over the fence, in the backyard. Our attitude as Christians should always be geared to Christian ministry, whether we're involved in a formal church ministry or one outside the church. In verses 12 and 13 of today's reading, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will, be, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Paul is not talking about hell. This is simply a fire that tests the quality of our message. And if it's not any good, it will be burned up like wood and hay, and it will not stand. Anything that is not about Christ is not the truth, so it will vanish. In verses 14 and 15, if what he has built survives, 
he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will be punished or suffer loss, as some versions say. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Just as someone who has built his house of combustible materials may escape when the fire comes, yet his property is lost and his labor comes to nothing. Paul is talking about the loss of work, not the loss of reward. Because the work was burnt up, it was wasted time. It was wasted energy. Anything done walking after the flesh will not stand the test of time. But if the person themselves are in Christ, then they are saved. Not because of the work, but because of grace. Throughout the New Testament, the word reward is singular. It is never presented as plural. Paul, Peter, or James never present the idea that you're going to get 12 rewards and your neighbor is only going to get five. What about the person saved on their deathbed? No rewards? Just as the parable of the hired hand, we all get paid the same. But what does that payment look like? Do we all get the same necklace? Do we all get the same crown? Paul tells us in verse 8 to 9 of our reading that nothing compares to knowing Christ. So whatever Paul means by rewards or inheritance, he is telling us that nothing compares to Jesus. Nothing compares to knowing him. So am I the only one here that has a hard time believing that it's going to be Jesus plus jewelry? It's going to be Jesus plus square footage? That it's going to be Jesus plus anything? When all things are lost next to knowing him. So here's a really radical thought. What if knowing Jesus Christ is our great reward? And what if that reward begins right now? Phil? For our closing prayer, I would like us to turn to, in our minds at least, and, and up on the slide, to John chapter 17. And I'd like us just to pray together the words I've selected from his prayer. He is there praying for his disciples, but he's also praying for us. I think it would be good for us to just read this together, being reminded by the words of our Lord himself as he spoke that prayer then, and he's speaking that prayer for you and me here uh, today. Let's read it aloud together. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, 
but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. May the Lord bless us through the reading of his word and the receiving of his message this day. God bless us all this week. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.